everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network, a podcast for the latest headlines and conversations in ag media. I'm Holly Spangler, editor at Prairie Farmer and executive editor at Farm Progress. Today's episode is brought to you by Wiffles Hybrids. Today, we are kicking off a new series looking at the future of print, media, and agriculture. And I'm talking with my good friend, Bill Spiegel, who is not only a contributing editor for The Furrow, but is also the incoming president of the Ag Communicators Network. So congratulations to him. I first met Bill, I want to say 25-ish years ago. We were at an editorial meeting for Farm Progress. He was a young field editor in Kansas. I was a young field editor in Illinois. And uh, he pointed to a map of the U.S. that was laying on the table in front of us and said, where's Kansas? And I hesitated for maybe a second, second and a half. And so for 25 years now, he has accused me of not knowing where Kansas was. So for the record, I do know where Kansas is, but it felt real appropriate to have Bill on this episode, the first episode of this new series, because he and I have had a lot of conversations over the years about our business and how it's changing and what's going to happen next and what we're reading as farmers as well. So over the next several episodes, we're going to take a deep dive into the future of print media and agriculture, where farm magazines have been, where they're going. Um, We're going to talk with some seasoned ag journalists, some younger ag journalists, and even another farmer or two. I think you're really going to enjoy it, and I guess I hope you'll really enjoy it. So here is my conversation with Bill Spiegel on the future of print media and agriculture. Bill Spiegel. Thank you for joining the Ag Communicators Network Above the Fold podcast and uh, for coming in somewhat remotely today. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm, it's going to be fun to talk to you, Holly. Excellent. Excellent. So we have been talking about the future of print media and agriculture, which this whole series, you know, was kind of born out, oddly enough, of a conversation you and I had some time back, you know, just as we do occasionally, what, what's going what, to, what's happening here? Like what, what's happening to this business that we've worked in for so long and, and how's it changing and all that kind of stuff. But I was curious, like I have some pretty core memories, you know, as a farm kid of farm publications growing up. And I feel like you probably do too, as a fellow farm kid, what's your first memory of a, you know, any, any farm publication in, in your house? Yeah, no, that, that, that's a fun question to answer because I mean, Saturdays to me, uh, when the mail came, that was a huge day because that was the day that the farm magazines came. Um, and it seemed like successful farming, farm journal, uh, Kansas farmer all came on the same day. And I mean, I, I had, I would, I would read them as a little kid. I loved reading them. Uh, um, High Plains Journal also came on Saturday. The other weekly that I would get was called Grass and Grain, and it was kind of a regional weekly in Kansas, and uh, that came on Tuesdays. So that was also a, a banner day for uh, for consuming ag media. And man, I just remember reading them cover to cover. And um, well, like, know, how old were you then? Oh, I was probably you know ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. You know, right around there. Uh, we read a lot. Our, our family subscribed to a ton of newspapers and magazines, so it was not unusual to just get a bunch of stuff in the mail to read. But for me, the farm magazines was always where I turned first. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I don't remember reading them or paying that much attention that early. Like I would bet I was in high school at least before I sort of registered to 
what some of that was, but I can remember seeing a prairie farmer laying, you know, on the coffee table in the stack of magazines as it was. And it had this picture on the cover, like the one that stands out of an ostrich, like the ugliest bird you've ever seen. But it was a beautiful picture, clear blue sky, close up of this ostrich head. And uh, it turned out later, I found out that was a photo by Andy Marquardt in a story. Really? Wow. That he had written. And uh, yeah, you know, it's so two things I was going to comment on. Number one, Farm Industry News was probably the one that really grabbed me because I love farm machinery. And um, I was probably, you know, between eighth grade and freshman year, right around that time frame. And I would send off, I mean, they had that reader reply coupon and I would send off. (laughs) stuff and I mean I used to get just tons of mail of of brochures that I mean I would file away and I'd read through them really really you know just vigorously I knew I just I just love that stuff and then it's funny because Kansas Farmer which is where I worked when you and I first met that was the one that I would read last on Saturdays because I wanted to read the the national magazines and then kind of focus in on the uh on the local one later. And I mean, the, probably the thing that I remember the most is like the old stampede cartoons and, and uh, seeing, yeah. uh, you know, we, well, even when I joined Kansas farmer, we had columnists that I read when I was a little kid. So that was, that was pretty cool to, mm-hmm. um, to, to be able to, to live that life that I had read about, you know, 10 years earlier. Yeah. Well, and probably a fair amount of inspiration. Like I remember in high school reading this column in Prairie Farmer called, um, oh gosh, now I don't remember what it's called. It was about beef. It was about cattle, which I found particularly interesting, but it was by this uh, editor who I thought her name was Cherry Stout. Uh Actually pronounced Sherry (laughs) Freezer Stout. Didn't know that at the time, but I remember thinking like, that's so cool. This is a woman writing about cattle. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, Lots of good memories, and I—I I don't know that you ever met Larry Richenberger, but he—I um, just remember reading his byline when I was a kid. And I mean, the first time I met him, it was like meeting a rock star. He was a farmer from Southern Kansas, and uh, um, I mean, he—he he was a great writer, and I loved what he wrote about. And I just remember that because that's kind of an unusual name, and and he just—he was just so prolific and so fantastic, and. Um, meeting him later, like I said, that was, that was kind of a big thing. So yeah, I, I'm right there with you. There's, there's, I, I wonder how many people actually pay attention to bylines when they read them. I do, you probably do, but, uh, you know, does the average farmer pay attention? I don't know. It'd be interesting right. to find out. Right. The people that don't know us, you know, how people say, oh, I read your stuff first, but they're people like I grew up with, yeah. <laughs> but like have some so, our know, family members yeah our family members right <laughs> bribe them it's fine it's fine <laughs> okay so it's interesting you mentioned farm industry news as being one that you really looked at and that's no longer published which right. kind of brings us to our point <laughs> today so like what when did you start in the farm magazine business and and what did it look like then like what year yeah. was it? <laughs> it's a long time ago uh, 1995 is when I started at Kansas Farmer as a field editor after a couple of years in the newspaper business. And, um, you know, that was a farm progress publication. Now, um, Informa, is that what's Informa Farm Progress? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah over, over, over Farm Progress. Um, 
it, that to me was like joining, you know, big time companies because they had all these publications all across the country. They were headquartered in Chicago or Carroll Stream, but Chicago. And I mean, I joined a staff with one other person. Uh, my boss was the editor. And I knew enough of the history to know that that Kansas Farmer had had several editors at one time and and you know things were kind of downsizing and things like that but it was still um you know it was a big company we had a lot of employees we had a lot of people in Carroll Stream kind of ramrodding the production of all these publications and it was it was major league I felt yeah I don't know what what to say other than that I, I just remember thinking man this this is big time this yeah. I did the big time yeah. And like, what kind of stories were you writing then? Cause like I started shortly after that in 98 and I feel like the things that we wrote then there are some similarities, but there's a lot yeah. of differences to what we're doing now. Yeah. I, so, you know, when I started in, in 95, uh, we wrote feature stories and they were, you know, thousand words or more covering up multiple pages, uh, lots of photography. And, <laughs> you know, it was probably, five, six years later, we really started honing in those stories. You know, we might do a thousand words, but it would be broken up in chunks so that our readers did not have to, you know, wade through an entire 1200 word story and a bunch of captions and things like that. And, and I liked that, Holly, to be honest with you, I liked being able to, to write, you know, three different chunks or four different chunks with some sidebars and things like that. Maybe that's just because I can't keep a coherent thought for, you know, 1200 words, but I felt like for my style, that was a better format. Um, but that, that was a, that was a huge change for the industry at the time. And I think that, I think that maybe farm progress, uh, was kind of on the, on the forefront of, of making that kind of change in our monthly farm or our state farm magazines, um, mm -hmm. our, our farm futures title, obviously that, that, that wasn't written that way, but uh, I do think we kind of we kind of set the stage for maybe the industry a little bit to do that. I don't know if you feel that way or not, but um, well, I think it's funny. I mean, you joke about like your brain, you know, working in smaller chunks that way, but like I, I also think like you're a farmer too, and so um, maybe that's also the way we just operate as as readers and and as as farmers who don't have a ton of time, you know, and maybe need to operate in smaller chunks that way. Yeah, I, I go back and forth even now to this day on, on what the right answer is, because I, I feel like good writing, I could read the whole thing, no matter how long it is, if it's really good writing. If it's not good writing, it's, it can't be short enough. Um, right. <laughs> so, and I, I've talked to, to some of my farming friends who feel the same way, who, who want more depth in the stories than, than what we currently provide. But I think we'll probably get into that topic a little bit later on. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's why I was going to say, like, how do you think our readers have changed? I mean, and, and by readers, sometimes that's, that's us too, but like how, how have readers changed and like, I mean, what are we talking here? 30, almost years. Yeah. 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 I, I, I mean, there's no, no question that readership has changed and, and I don't think farmers are that much different than, in the general population and perhaps it's COVID, perhaps it's just society. But um, a couple of years ago, I think maybe in the, in the middle of COVID, I went to a doctor's office 
and there were no magazines yep. in the waiting room. Prior to that, I'd gone to the same doctor's office and there was there was a ton of magazines, but yep. no one was reading them. They were all on their phone. Right. And so, you know, as a journalist, I hate that, but I find myself more and more reading my daily newspaper, uh, my weekly newspaper, my farm magazines on my phone rather than picking up the, the hard copy version. Yeah. And so I think that's changed, but I, I do think that maybe we, uh, I, I think that, I think that the attention span is less than what it used to be. Right. And I think that our, our population of, of folks who consume farm magazines is older. I mean, gosh, we, you know, the industry has talked about that for eons. Right. But when I talk to young farmers today and say, hey, you know, what do you like about successful farming? What do you like about Kansas Farmer, High Plains Journal, whatever? Mm-hmm. They're like, we don't necessarily read it. That, that bothers me. However, right. they are still wanting to consume information. So I think that we have to figure out a way to provide information differently. And that information still needs to be good. It needs to be credible and it needs to be, um, you know, vetted out like journalists do, but maybe it is different. Maybe it's in the form of podcasts or YouTube videos or whatever. I don't know. I, I wish I, if I had the answer to that, I probably would be, you know, doing something else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I often think of, uh, Mike Wilson has always said, like, you need to write, assuming your reader has something better to do than read what you're mm-hmm. writing. Right. So, so every word needs to be pretty compelling and, and, and just thinking, okay, practically speaking, every moment of the day, your average farmer reader has a lot of things pulling at their attention, you know, and, and that's before they ever walk in the door, you know, that's, um, you know, equipment needs done phone calls that needs, you know, returned. There's a lot of other mail in that stack. You know, when you're talking about an actual print publication, if you sit down at the computer, there's emails that need returned and there's pop-ups here and there's, you know, all kinds of stuff pulling at your attention. There's family, there's stack of papers on your desk. I mean, you just start thinking about all the things that, that I think of my husband has to do in a day. And, and then, then, then we have to figure out a way to, to make the story so enticing that they want to read it. Yeah. I'll order it or view it. Like you say, I mean, it's tough. And and you guys are no different than us at Successful Farming. We were trying, you know, we're, we're always trying to figure out what, what to do, what, what is it that's going to engage farmers? And, you know, I don't think any of us have hit that perfect niche, that, that sweet spot, you know, uh, it just, it's just a really difficult thing. And, and, you know, High Plains Journal, when I worked there, um, we had special events for farmers and, and those were great for content, content generation also. Um, but that, that was pretty, uh, that was a unique way of engaging, uh, folks at successful farming. Um, you know, the podcast, uh, successful farming TV and the YouTube channel and things like that. Um, I'm now at the furrow and we're kind of uh, which kind of makes it sound like I've had a lot of jobs because I probably have had a lot of jobs. <laughs> I didn't but say it, that. Yeah. So the furrow <laughs> is, you know, really heavy on excellent photography and, and words that, that matter, like what Mike would say. I mean, you, every word counts. And I think that that, that philosophy of making every word count 
is really critical in today's environment, I guess, of, of uh, engaging farmers. And how do you do that, you think? I mean, is it is it more people? Is it more, you know, um, staff? Is it more training? Is it, how do you, how do you make every word count in a, in a magazine? Well, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's hard. And I, I try to, I mean, you, you're a farm wife and you, you farm, you're heavily involved in what you're in your husband's farm operation. Um, you know, this industry, you know, what matters. And I think that gives folks like you and me a little bit of an edge because, you know, we, we kind of had that, have that sixth sense, I guess, of, all right, this is going to be something that's important to the reader, right? Because mm-hmm. it's important to us. Mm-hmm. Then it's a matter of just the engagement itself. And I, I think you're one of the best at it as far as, you know, writing succinctly um, to the point and engaging. And those are three different things in my book, because I don't think, I think that's something that a, a lot of people like, like myself, I, I don't think we, I don't think we have enough coaching on how to do that. And, and that's something that I think that the industry could do a better job of, of maybe helping our editors yeah, find sure. that and, and make things more succinct. I remember going to a Pointer Institute, um, training session really over in Indianapolis early in my career it's Tom Beckman was there and Pam Golden and we had a good time but um it was you know two or three days but I went to some session there that talked about writing tight and how can you edit something down you know that you've written into you know 100 words <laughs> and and yeah. tell what needs to be told you know um, and, and that was kind of like, like little news bite kind of things, but still like, that's a good exercise <laughs> to have to do that. I and, think that's, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but you're right. And I don't know if you feel this way. I do. I think it's really hard to edit my own stuff, mm-hmm. but give me someone else's and, and I can, <laughs> I can, you know, I'm happy to do that. And I don't know, Holly, you probably had more self-confidence than I did, but when I started at Kansas Farmer, I hated having my stuff edited. I hated it because I had never had it edited before. And then when we went through a time where we lost some staff and I didn't have someone overseeing my writing, I felt like the quality of my writing suffered dramatically. And I, I think that's probably the a huge difference now is that mm-hmm. there's not enough staff. There's not enough uh, folks to to read our you know, our, our coworkers work to, to try and make it better. And I really think, I mean, of all the things that I've, I've been through in 30 years in this industry, I think that is the one thing that is hurt our industry a lot. The fact that we have lost a lot of that, um, that knowledge and we've lost a lot of that ability to, to help others fine tune their writing and make it better. Yeah, I think you're right. We just, there's not the time that there used to be. You know, and, and I don't want to sound like one of those, you know, back in my day, there was, you know, but, you know, there was a time when we were writing, you know, three and four stories a month yeah, for a magazine with a staff of, of several people. And you had time for that kind of stuff. And like, I can remember walking a story because we were in an actual office, right? So I printed it out and I walked it over to Mike Wilson's office and gave it to him. And he wrote on it with an actual red pen and 
yeah. gave it back to me. <laughs> and it looked like something had died on that paper. Um, but gosh, it, I learned a lot from it. And, and, and like, there was a whole section I remember he pulled out and I knew it didn't work. And he said it didn't work. And he said it ought to be a sidebar. And it was just like, wow, that's, that's exactly how that needed to, to be. And it made so much sense to have somebody, you know, go through that story and then make it work better and then learn from that. It's just that, that idea of having a, a good editor go through your stuff. If, if you can pay attention to it and learn from it, you can, you yeah. can get better. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the key. That's the second part, right? Because uh, I, Hank Ernst was my mentor at Kansas Farmer. He was the editor. And man, I, I just hated getting stuff back from him. But he would probably spend as much time editing as I spent writing it. <laughs> and I, I learned so much from him. I probably did not take it very well when I was a new professional. But mm -hmm. I talked to him on the phone a year or so ago. And I remember these little things that he would tell me. In fact, I'd like to write a byline column from some of the best advice from uh, old editors or retired editors, That'd be because great. they're not, you know, we don't hear them anymore. And yeah. uh, anyway, I know we're kind of getting lost in the weeds there, but uh, I do think that writing tight, writing, you know, really the good journalism that our industry was founded upon, I think maybe has, has kind of slid away a little bit and, and maybe that Maybe I'm being unfair, um, but that's just my thought. Yeah, no, I don't think it's unfair. I, but I, I do think everybody, you know, younger writers and, and newer people, you know, to our industry and, and more experienced as well, we all want to do a good job. There's just not always the time to do the job we want to do yeah. or to be edited the way we want to be edited, you know, too. But I'm curious too, like, you know, we think back in the days, you know, when we were just a monthly publication and then you'd get a letter now and then, you know, from a reader who'd read something and agreed or didn't agree or whatever. And of course, now it's a lot more rapid and and we're, you know, getting all kinds of different response. How how have you seen, you know, how do farmers interact with what you write now? You know, whether that's something that's been online or in print or whatever and 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 what kind of response do you get? You know, I was always jealous of you guys at Prairie Farmer because we didn't get that many letters to the editor when I was a Kansas farmer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe a handful a year, unless it was some, you know, some guy who'd write every month with, you know, right. just, just a rant. Um, at High Plains Journal, which is uh, a weekly based in Dodge City, Kansas, we got tons of correspondence. And, and that was all, you know, through the mail. And it was great. I loved it. Um, I'm only laughing because Holly Martin used to get letters from a prison somewhere. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I, didn't get those, I didn't get those letters, which I'm probably thankful for. Um, at Successful Farming, I wasn't privy to a lot of the uh, mail correspondence, but, but we, you know, everything is put online right now, obviously, uh, Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And the response there is just like the response of any social media platform. It can be pretty incendiary <laughs> and oftentimes not very complimentary. Oftentimes people are hiding behind a fake name or a real name. Maybe they don't care because they're not going to see us on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. I wrote a series of stories about Black farmers that were published a year and a half ago. And we actually had to take down our post on Facebook because some of the comments were so just out of line that right. Um, right. 
you know, so I feel like just like any publication nowadays, because we can do stuff online and kind of anonymously that that correspondence or that feedback is is not as kind not as not as thoughtful i guess i mean kind i don't i don't care about kind i care about thoughtfulness <laughs> right. and, and i i think that's the you know that's the society we live in now right we you know when's the last time you got a handwritten note from anyone it doesn't happen very often so i know all right I, you I, got one yesterday <laughs> Because I actually got one the other day. That's why. All right, so once again, Prairie Farmer gets a lot of uh, personal <laughs> feedback. Um, I, I kind of miss the days of getting good, thoughtful correspondence from readers. Yeah. Uh, you know, stuff they may not agree, and that's fine. I totally am cool with that. But be thoughtful and respectful, and let's have a conversation as opposed to I don't like that story because I don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, and and I think I think that's a little bit of nature of what we write about, right? Like, um, you know, those stories that elicit some sort of emotional response are what people respond to, right? Like, like what moves them to write a comment or to yeah. write you an email or write out a letter by hand and mail it to you, um, you know, where something about something political or something going on, like in our department of ag, where something like that, I think, tends to fire people up a little more you know, than than the average story I write about no-till, whatever, somewhere, yeah. you know, and that's not a knock on, on any agronomic story or, or saying we shouldn't do it. It's just people just don't respond um, in writing, I don't think, to, to that kind of stuff as much. Yeah, Holly, do you think, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you questions, maybe I shouldn't be, but I mean, do you think that we, we do enough of those stories that I mean, I call them the stories that maybe we don't want to read or maybe we don't even want to write about, but, mm-hmm. but our, our readers need to have them, you know, whether it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, the Illinois Department of Agriculture or uh, the status of water in Western Kansas, Nebraska, you know, those are stories that they're not fun to write oftentimes, mm-hmm. but, but our readers need to know about them because those stories aren't going to get told by other outlets, right? Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, it's it's that service journalism kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I did a big deep dive into our our uh, state checkoff organizations this spring, which nearly killed me off in terms of you know the time and the trouble you know to collect yeah. all that information and put it together. But we did get a lot of response, and and people were grateful to see it all together in one place and that kind of thing. But you're right, it's hard to do, and it's hard yeah. to do in a time when we don't have as much time as as we'd like to have too but I think that's the kind of stuff that does our our readers you know more of a service and and then we can present that you know we talk about okay future of print we can present that in print but we can also present it online yeah and and help people you know find it yeah I I think you know one of the things too I miss about the old days and and we had this a high plane journal was a staff of multiple editors we came together on a couple of stories when I was there one of them was about the opioid crisis and you know seeing the the team effort from our entire staff of five or six editors uh and how they could all come together and create something pretty magnificent um you know that's pretty that's pretty rare in today's 
agricultural journalism industry. And I, I think it's something that, that I miss, definitely. Yeah, yeah. We definitely have some colleagues who do some great work with team stories, and it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wrangle those ideas and get it all into, into one place. Yeah. Well, okay, so crystal ball. <laughs> What, what's what's next, do you think, for the uh, printed word in agriculture? Are we going to be holding magazines in five years or 10 years? Or I, I wish I knew the answer to that. I mean, I alluded to it. You, you and I have talked about this ad infinitum. So, uh, you know, you know, my answer is going to be, you know, the information is always going to be necessary, right? There's always going to to be a demand for good quality information. I don't know how that's going to be um, put together. I, I have a lot of friends who love listening to podcasts and, and, you know, I, I get that. I, I think there's room for a, a podcast version of a magazine or even a video uh, YouTube version of a magazine or, or some, you know, something that kind of has some, I don't know, just quick hitting a more rapid pace perhaps than a magazine. Um, I have friends who, like I said, who don't read magazines at all, um, but they're still going to Google search for information and read a magazine article. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that it's imperative that we continue to, to do our work. But crystal ball, man, I, I don't have the answer to that. I mean, there's so many things outside of our control, right? I mean, right now, cost of paper is prohibitive. The cost of postage is going up. Um, there's, there's a lack of supply of paper. Um, there's a, you know, there's just a lot of things that are outside of yours and my control, uh, outside of the publisher's control in some ways that, that could drive further change in the industry. I don't know. What do you think? I have long thought that, you know, agriculture is a traditional business. We are made up of traditional people who in general like that printed publication in their hand. But, and, and, and not to say that it won't go away in, in, in ag at some point, it will, but I think we'll be maybe one of the last places to die has always been my, my, my <laughs> I guess, working um, theory. But all those things you just mentioned, you know, paper prices, postage prices, a pandemic, <laughs> those are things that may push us closer sooner um and i guess and this is really anecdotal too i don't have any evidence to this other than conversations but um it has been my kind of loose experience with the farmers that i talk to that those that are kind of my age and younger and i'm 46 you know we generally are reading the majority of what we consume on a device you know on your phone on a tablet on you know maybe on your computer or whatever and those my age and above really like that traditional publication um and there are outliers to that you know i've had plenty of young farmers say no i really want to you know have that magazine laying there and i just got an email from somebody you know this i don't know it was a rainy period here this spring who said hey i'm finally catching up on my reading and i really like that story you know back in april may and i thought well you know what like they (laughs) that digital word doesn't lay around on your counter that way to right. be up on a rainy day it's, it's hard to find to go back and get that again so I don't know I feel like there's some value there but boy that's tough to quantify and it's tough I would think to sell around too yeah yeah I, I think that's that's a great point I mean 
uh, farmer I used to work for back in college. I remember um, I worked for him one Christmas break, and I mean, he had all of his magazines stacked up in the in the basket by the by the easy or lazy boy and you know he would go through them all and um i i i don't know if, if farmers do that so much anymore and i but there are some who do right i i mean you and i both have kids who are about the same age and i my kids don't read the newspaper mm-hmm. i was a voracious newspaper magazine reader and and they are not mm-hmm. and i say that because uh one of the people i used to work for the publisher said you know we're, we're a magazine business um, we find that when people get into their 20s they start reading more print mm-hmm. product mm-hmm. and i was skeptical <laughs> I, I don't know holly if that's the case but you know, that was their business model and, and they, they'd made a lot of money at it. So I, I don't know. I just, I do wonder about the future. I think it's going to take a mix of different mediums. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, gosh, we're trying to figure out, or when I was at SF, we were trying to figure out how do we engage the TikTok generation? Well, count me out. I, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but, but you know, that those are all things, those are opportunities in, in a lot of ways that we need to you know, continue to look at as, as we move forward. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I've, I'm, I've put information in front of my kids, right. Like pointedly lay my magazine on the counter yeah. <laughs> and they'll, they'll flip through it, but mostly I think out of obligation. So, I, but, but I will also say like, I re- read more, you know, to your point, I read more stuff like that as a 20 something post-college than I did in college or in high school. So some of that's time and some of it's, you know, figuring out, oh, hey, this is what I need to do to understand the world a little bit better and be a little more interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think you probably had the same opportunities to speak to college kids that I do. And I always ask them, do you read the newspaper? And, and, you know, none of them read the, the daily newspaper most of them will, if they're from a small town, they'll read that weekly newspaper, but most of them are getting their information off Twitter or uh, Snapchat or TikTok. And, you know, it just kind of breaks my heart a little bit, but at the same time, all right, how do we as an industry need to address that and provide information that's relevant to those people? Yeah. If we want to reach those people, maybe we don't want to reach 18, 19, 20 year olds. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Mike's advice still rings true today. Yeah. I mean, well, I feel like you know, in terms of um, what matters, <laughs> trying to figure out how we present that to them. I think I think what you said earlier really, you know, I think it really makes sense. It's it's if you good good stories bear telling and being told well, and a, and a good story told well will get some attention, and so we can at least hope for that. Bill, anything else you want to add before we wrap up here? Holly, I'm at a beach in South Carolina. The only thing that I want to add is that it's hot. I'm going to go uh, jump in the Atlantic Ocean. I think that sounds like a good plan. And I appreciate your time and your sacrifice on behalf of the Ag Communicators Network today. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this first episode in our new series, The Future of Print Media and Agriculture. 
Bill and I are not exactly the young punks that uh, we like to think we are, but it was really fun to think back to um, what our first editors taught us and how much of that is still true today, uh, despite how entirely this job has changed. And to think through how we as farmers consume media too. I sure hope you'll stay tuned to the rest of this series. Um, we'll be having some really interesting guests in the future as well. And we're grateful as always to Wiffle Hybrids for sponsoring this conversation. I'm Holly Spangler. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Above the Fold with the Ag Communicators Network.